Hello, you're listening to the Sydney Writers Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name is Valerie Koo, and you can find us online at sydneywriterscentre.com.au. We're Australia's leading writing centre, and you'll find a wealth of resources on our website and blog, including interviews with authors, writing tips, and valuable ideas on how to get published. Whether you're interested in writing a novel, short story, or articles for magazines, you'll find information and courses to help you get there. Or if you want to hone your business writing skills, we can help you too. Our presenters are the best in the industry. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. J.J. Cooper's debut novel is The Interrogator. It is a military thriller made frighteningly authentic thanks to Cooper's own experience as a human intelligence officer with the Australian Army. He spent 17 years in the Army, during which time he did two tours of duty in East Timor and one in the Middle East. He has scored a two-book deal with Random House and will be releasing his second thriller in 2010. Thanks for joining us today, J.J. Absolute pleasure. Now, people are going to be so intrigued about your book and particularly with your own experience in the military. How much did your own experiences in the Army inspire your characters and the story and, you know, what ended up being the interrogator? Yeah, yeah. Um, I suppose I'll write from experience and, uh, and, and imagination. The, uh, the mili- military characters, are, you know, both good and bad, uh, are drawn from from people I've come across in, in, the, in the military. Um, so it seemed like a logical uh, thing to do to have my main character as an interrogator, mm. as I was. Mm. And um, it sort of cuts down on the, a lot of research as well. Yeah, definitely. Now, we've seen lots of scenes in movies and, and the like of people being interrogated. Is it really like that? Oh, no, no not at all. Um, I think that's, that's, that's probably a thing that worked on our side a lot of the time because generally 95% I reckon of, of the information I always got was talking like you and I are now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the expectations when, uh, when someone does get interrogated is, is because they've been watching too, too much television and, uh, <laughs> you, you know, that they think that someone's going to come in yelling or that someone's going to hurt them or, but, you know, the reality is that, um, you know, the Australians are covered by the Geneva Conventions and we do treat all our prisoners, uh, you know, um, in accordance with those conventions. And at no time, you know, is there anyone ever getting hurt, uh, you know, that's for sure. So I, I find, you know, over the past, it's, it's just a matter of talking to people. And at the end of the day, you know, uh, if, you, if you're lost and alone and uh, someone's going to have a chat with you, you're more than willing to chat back. And so what did you enjoy most about being an interrogator? Um, I suppose it's the uh, it's the battle of wits. Um, it's it's a total it's a total mind game, really. Um, you you do your best. You're one on one in a room with someone, and it's their their goal is to stop you getting information, and your goal is to get that information. Mm-hmm. And um, being bound by those those conventions, the only way you're going to do it is, is is with the mind. Mm. And what are some of the things people do to um, avoid telling you what? what you want? Um, I suppose delay is, is the big one. Information of value, yeah, it, it, it's always timely. Um, so delaying by not speaking at all is, is, you know, is probably the most useful tool you know, to use against an interrogator. Um, it's, it's always good when someone speaks, no matter what they say, mm. it's always a bonus because um, once you get someone, someone started talking, they just can't stop. 
Really? <laughs> now, you've spent 17 years in the Army. At what point did you start writing? Um, until after I left. Um, if, if you can imagine 17 adrenaline-filled years in the military, mm. uh, leaving that and then landing a nine-to-five corporate-type job, mm-hmm. there's, there's that sort of gap um, in that adrenaline rush, if you like. Mm. Um, I was going a bit batty, I think, and uh, there was a suggestion that, you know, I've always been a, a fairly decent, I suppose, type of storyteller, but um, getting it down on paper was, was, you know, the obvious thing for me to do. I needed that creative outlet, per se. It was writing a substitute for adrenaline, though? Oh, definitely. I mean, really? if, you, if, you, if you're that engrossed into, into your writing... Um, thinking of the next plot point, the subplots, the uh, what comes next and what can I throw at my main character, certainly, uh, it does fill that void, oh, definitely. Mm. And how did you get started, though? So you were in your corporate job, what were you doing, and, and how did you then, you know, actually get the discipline and, and, and inspiration to write? Um, I suppose I, I was in a corporate-type, security-type role, and... Um, you know, I, I found I was I was just missing something, and um, you know I think it was my wife who made the suggestion that you know you, you might as well try and write something. You've always been a good at storytelling. You know, get it down on paper and see what you can come up with. And I did, and uh, hence the interrogator was uh, was born out of that idea. So you hadn't really done much writing before that. Absolutely not. This is my first piece of writing and it certainly worked out fairly well for me. And did it come easily to you when you actually sat down to tell your stories? It did. Um, I won't say it was... There were there were times of difficulty where I, where I could stare at the computer screen for hours on end, just waiting for that next um, plot point to come to me. Mm. But um, otherwise, I'll write fairly quickly. I've, I've got... Uh, fairly limited time to do so and um, you know it comes out quick enough for me and it, it seems to have worked out all right for this one at least. So how did you fit it all in? Did you do it after work or on weekends? When did you actually have time to write and sit and think about your plot points? Um, I do probably average a couple of hours a night. Um, you know I'm, I'm still working full-time mm-hmm. and um, I've got a young family and um, the priorities are with them and um, so after everyone's tucked in the bed of a night time, that's when I, uh, I, I um, tuck into my books. And so tell us, is truth really stranger than fiction? Well, <laughs> I was in the Middle East in 2003 before the uh, Allied ground assault, and uh, we all were looking for those weapons of mass destruction, mm-hmm. and as far as I know, they still haven't been found. There is a, there is a popular conspiracy theory that they, they were moved before we got there, and... Um, I suppose, is it possible that Israeli Mossad got to them before we did? It would certainly be handy if that news broke now as my book is released. <laughs> yes. Now, Jay Ryan is your um, main character. How similar is Jay to other intelligence officers you've worked with or even yourself? Um, yeah, I suppose I, um, I've, I've taken... You know, the, the characteristics, the uh, idiosyncrasies from all those people I've worked with, um, some fantastic, you know, interrogators over the years. And uh, he got the good and the bad. And um, I suppose the uh, the bad guys in that also fit some bills. You know, I won't say that they definitely fit uh, a certain type of character, but I did draw on all, all my experiences to come up with, uh, with my main character in particular. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I think... Apart from, um, you know, 
he likes strong coffee with, with uh, you know, milky strong coffee, no sugar. That, that's pretty much me. <laughs> um, but I don't drive a 57 Chevy. I'd like to. But um, it, it just hasn't happened yet. Now, um, Jay Ryan, it could potentially be part of a series because uh, you've scored a two-book deal with Random House. So are you planning more Jay Ryan adventures? Have you already started on your second book? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It's uh, almost done. Um, so it is another Jay Ryan um, book, and it's about a year after the interrogator ends. So uh, he's, um, he's back into the fray, although he's left the military in this book, but um, some, some things are hard to let go of. Mm. Um, I've already a book idea for uh, book three, and um, I'm definitely going to keep Jay going on in a series. Yeah, you know, as long as um, you know the publishers are happy with it, and same with the public who are going to um, you know fork out their hard earned for it. And if you could pick somebody to play Jay Ryan in a movie, say if your book became a screenplay, who might that be? You know, I think all authors really, even though they don't say they do, but I think we all have a picture <laughs> of a certain, a certain actor along the way. Yes. And, and unfortunately, I thought Heath Ledger would have been perfect for it. Ah. So, you know, um, I suppose there's, um, there's a few really good um, Australian actors um, who are coming up through the ranks thanks to some of our, uh, you know, our more popular series at the moment. Mm. Um, we've also got some some great Aussie actors overseas who are who are scoring really nice roles and big. But ultimately, I think um, in the book, you know, the main character is described as Colin Farrell with broader shoulders. So <laughs> if he could pump up and he can uh, put on an Aussie accent, I'm sure I'll, I'll be happy for him to come on board. And maybe be a tiny bit taller. Uh, oh, yes, yes, he does. <laughs> we could get the camera angle at a lower angle for him. That's right. Now, a lot of people are going to be listening to this and go, oh, my goodness, you know, he hasn't written before and now he's scored this fantastic deal um, and this brilliant book has come out. Tell us about the journey to publication. How did you get a publisher interested and what happened there? Yeah, um, it's, you know, I'm the first one to admit that it happened freakishly quick for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really do understand how difficult it is to get a, um, your book published by a traditional publisher, in particular in Australia. Mm. Um, I did I did do a lot of research, and I was fully prepared before I uh, acquired my agent. Um, I'd spent considerable bit, amount of time, you know, researching, you know, the right agents, the type of books they represent, and um, the market. Um, I did pitch um, Sophie, ha- Sophie Hamley from. Cameron Creswell Agency, mm-hmm. and um, she happened to like the book, and um, she uh, offered to represent me. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, and, and you know, working with Sophie was fantastic. We we pitched uh, three publishers in Australia, including including Random House, mm-hmm. and um, I think within three weeks they offered a uh, a two book deal. So it was it was remarkably quick, but mm-hmm. um, you know, I did I was real well prepared for it. Did you have the book completed at that stage, or? or? Oh, definitely, it was sparkling. It was, it was, it was polished. And you know, there's a tip for anyone who is who's, who wants to get published. You really do need to have a, um, in particular fiction, that is. Mm. You you do need to have a uh, a completed book, mm. and it does need to be, uh, you know, as best as you can get it before you start pitching. And. Tell us how you got it to that state. What did you do? Because obviously you, you wrote your first draft and that's not necessarily what ended up in the final product. How did you get it to sparkle? It, um, there's another one. It, it pretty much was the first draft. But um, what I, I do is I write 10 chapters, which is about 15,000 words, then I go back and edit. 
mm-hmm. and I continue along that line. Um, I probably had about three edit runs after the, I completed the uh, the novel, mm-hmm. and um, I thought it was okay. I did have what we call a, a better reader for, in America, and she's she's fantastic, and she uh, she's an aspiring editor, and um, she looked it over and gave me some great tips as well, and um, we. You know, although we we worked hard with the Random House editors, mm. um, you know, after we, uh, the book was accepted, um, I think it was in good shape. Mm. It was it was um, pretty well polished as best I could get it anyway. Sure. Are some people going to read this, and and perhaps even some of your former colleagues, and uh, might they say, "Oh my God, is that me?" Or, <laughs> oh, "Wow, is is that when when we went to you know." such and such a place do you think that some people are going to resonate with that um yeah i think i think people won't be able to help it um (laughs) you know if if we are at a particular place and um we do read about it in a book i suppose we like to put ourselves in there and that's what the readers you know of fiction i find it's all about they have an idea of of um you know people read to escape reality for me anyway so if you're reading to escape reality and you can picture yourself perhaps standing next to a certain place um, or even being a certain person, I can't stop that. Mm. But, um, I, you know, it is fiction. Um, you know, there is there is nothing in there that, um, um, you know, will identify things that are of secrets at least. Mm. Um, I'm, you know, I'm still covered by the Secrecy Act, so it is, there, is no, there is no secret in the book. Sure. And tell us... What you like about Jay Ryan? Um, I think he's got that never give up attitude, mm-hmm. and um, I think Australian audiences will, will Australian readers will certainly, um, you know, recognise that in in Jay, mm. and um, that's probably my favourite part. He doesn't give up. You know, he gives it a go, and um, even when the chips are down, he's uh, he's cool under pressure. And um, of course, you know he's a good guy. He comes out on top. Mm-hmm. Now you've already you've almost written the second book. You're already thinking about the third. How is Jay developing in your head in in your reality over time? Yeah, I think it, it it's an interesting question because you can't go a hundred mile an hour with uh, with a character over a series and have him fully developed, if you like, by you know book two. Mm. The you know I think we've got to keep throwing uh, flaws at him as well. Mm. Um, we uh, we de- dive a little bit deeper into his past and into his relationship with his father in particular um, during book two. Um, and, you know, he does develop as a person because he does leave the military, um, but he still does go back. Um, and um, I think you'll find in book three he'll cut all ties altogether. Mm. So you've obviously still in your full-time job, but it's very consuming when you write a book. Do you find you are able to switch off when you're, you know, wear, when you're wearing different hats, or are you always thinking about what's going to happen next in my story and that kind of thing? Yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm far too busy to to uh, to, to be able to, um, you know, continually think about it. Right. I, I think that's great because you know when I when I do go to um, continue writing of a night, I'll read back over a little bit. Um, what I did beforehand, and it comes back fairly quickly to me. Mm. Uh, pick up the ball and roll with it. However, you know, I, being a um, an ex-human intelligence operator, you you sort of you study people and places and faces a fair bit, mm. um, and that that's that's a given. You know, even to this day for myself. 
So I do pick up bits and pieces along the way um, through through my journeys, and uh, you know, it, even if I don't use them that night as I'm riding, you know, they're, they're tucked it away in a dark place in the back of my mind to be pulled out if I need. Mm. What's been a highlight or highlights of your military career? Um, I would I would have to say the highlight would be the deployment to the Middle East in 2003. Mm-hmm. Um, although my wife may disagree because I, I missed the birth of my first boy. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I know, and um, I haven't I haven't uh, and that's 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 the reason why I uh, left the military. They were sending me to Afghanistan during the birth of my second boy. So. Mm. You know, it is with the regret that I left, but, um, you know, it, it certainly worked out well for me. Mm. But um, definitely a highlight was, was the deployment to the Middle East. Um, because and, why? Um, you trained for so long to, to do certain things, and uh, when, you, when you can put it um, you know, into fruition, it's, um, it certainly does drain you and it changes you, that experience, but mm. um, I think you, you do definitely grow from, from it. Why did you join the military in the first place? Oh, I suppose an honest, honest answer is as a 19-year-old would be money. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I did develop a love for it very quickly. Um, the, the discipline was great. The, um, the different people, places and faces, you know, you can it's, – it's a huge, huge uh, industry, if you like, where – you know, if you get bored with one job, you can jump and do another. Mm. Um, but um, I, I don't regret the day I spent in the military. It was it was fantastic time for for me, and it's where I met my wife as well. And um, you know, I've it's certainly been the you know I've moved on now. I'm on mm. to a different career, but mm. um, yeah, just just the the people, the camaraderie. It's it's something you you cannot get outside. I think. So you told us about a highlight. What's been a low point in your military career? Um, I'd say definitely missing the birth of, of my, my oldest boy. Sure. So that's both the highlight and the low light in one minute. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's amazing to be over there, but, you know, geez, I was in tears when I missed it. Sure. Um, and I only had one five-minute phone call because we were under, a, you know, um, a certain certain type of uh, non-communications with family at that stage. Right. So one five-minute phone call just after the birth, and then, um, you know, that was it pretty much. Um, the rest was in, in um, communicated over through, through friends, through, uh, you know, email system, etc. Um, I'm sure you're making up for it now. But uh, now you have moved on to a new career. Is, what's the Grandmaster plan? Would you like to be writing full-time or perhaps even exploring another career? What, what's, what's the future hold? Um, I would love to write full time. There's no doubt about it. But I'm also a realist. Um, it is so difficult to to make a living just from writing. Um, you know, we, especially a, a first time author of fiction that is, mm. and to to break into the market is great. But yeah, you know, the reality is it's it's um, probably not that much money in it until Russell Crowe picks up the film rights, and right. then I'll be right. <laughs> But, um, you know, if we sell it overseas, that may be better. And um, But, you know, the plan is for me is to continue working and um, my full-time job is my primary career. Mm-hmm. Uh, writing is, you know, I love it. I have a passion for it. But um, it's, it doesn't put uh, food on the table as yet for, for the family. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. So until that, um, un- until I start earning more than what I am now, I think um, writing will be um, just that passion I'll have to uh, do in my couple of hours of a night. Oh, I'm sure that day will come. Um, so finally, what would your advice be to aspiring authors who may be in a similar situation to you and who are thinking, you know, I'd love to tell stories and, you know, I'd love, I'd love to get a book out there one day? Yeah, give it a go. I mean, that's all you've got to do. I mean, uh, start with goals. You've got to start with the goal. And one goal might be writing a chapter. Another goal might be uh, finishing a book and then editing and then trying to get an agent and so on and so on. And, you know, stay determined all the way through the, through the process. But um, I think my biggest tip would be money always flows to the writer. Um, you don't need to spend a penny to get published. Um, I haven't. Mm. Um, and if you want to learn about writing, I mean, I, I certainly respect um, the how to write uh, books, I don't own one, <laughs> but um, you know you can do it if you've got internet access. Join an online writers forum. That's what I did. Mm. I learned every, everything I needed to know about um, writing, uh, editing, um, how to get published, um, agents, and the business, and, and you know everything. You know, I, I pretty much did on just a one one online writers group. Mm. So the the key, I suppose, is to stay determined. Mm. So stop dreaming and start doing. Very practical. Absolutely. Wonderful. So thank you very much for your time today, JJ. My pleasure. And it's, uh, it's been great, um, you know, joining, joining you here. And um, I suppose if, uh, you know, if anyone's got any dramas at all or would like to ask me any questions, just put me an email. Um, go to the website and um, I'd be more than happy to help out. And tell us what your website is. Oh, now that's true. I've got to remember this one. It is <laughs> www.jjcooperbooks.com. Wonderful. Thanks, JJ. Thank you. You've been listening to the Sydney Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Koo. You can find us online, including details about our courses, seminars and online learning, as well as information on our regular competitions where you can win books, movie tickets and literary experiences at www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au or visit me on my personal website, www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au ValerieKoo.com. That's ValerieKoo, K-H-O-O.com. Thank you for listening.